you think about the person in your life, when you started, believing you more than anyone else, they're the ones that made the sacrifices. When I walk out, my old man's next to me. They're not just looking at you, they're looking at what made you. Now, what I'm talking about our fucking game. I want them talking about us. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Wendy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Wendy. And our tactics guy, and a man who always wobbles around like that and slurs his words is absolutely fine, nothing to worry about. It's Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. (laughs) We will definitely be talking about concussion protocols during this podcast because we are in love with Ange Postacoglu's response to what happened with... Kuti Romero in the match against Brentford. Um, uh, I, I kind of always start with little bits of admin. This is a very tedious bit of admin for, for people who are not involved in our Patreon. So we have a Patreon, patreon.com forward slash the extra inch. And last week, Patreon and Spotify launched a little, um, how to say this, hookup, I guess. Spotify now allows Patreons to listen to the Patreon only pods through their platform which is great news i think spotify's a really nice platform or or through another another podcasting app and you've always wanted to be able to use spotify but haven't been able to before now is your chance you can um get them on there and shout Um, out to um shout out to spotify i got hacked somebody must have been really interested in like 90s indie music and (laughs) pretty tame hip-hop i got totally hacked and they they fixed it well i couldn't log back in um and then i had to put a request in and somebody called entrenamento one two three or something which is like training one two three at gmail logged into my account and just took control for a little bit how weird yeah well weird thing to hack i guess they're trying to get your personal details have you have you told your bank about this (laughs) no no i haven't no I maybe um I changed the password anyway, so nice. we'll, we'll have to see. Yeah. <laughs> um and let's launch straight into the Brentford match. There's so much to talk about. I really, really, really enjoyed this uh first match of the season, Spurs. I didn't get to watch it live actually. I, I was um long story, but I was out during Sunday at an unavoidable uh event and I was desperate to not hear the result. I didn't want to get spoiled. Um, before I left the house, I suddenly remembered, oh God, I've, I've hit record on Skype. I've left the channel on Sky, Sky, like Sky Sports 1 or whatever it is. And when I get back and turn it on, I bet it's going to like accidentally ruin it at the last minute. So I remember to change the channel and I managed it. I managed to get through the whole day without knowing the result and watched it at like eight o'clock at night, which was, oh, yeah. which was a success. Very impressed. That um, is really impressive. Like in modern day kind of things, like you must, what would you throw your phone in the bin? Cause I I kept my phone in my bag all afternoon. Mm. I mean, I, I was entertaining four children, so there was not much time to be on my phone anyway. Um, my partner um, Vanessa said to me, "You know, have you? Do you feel like uh, better for having left your phone in your bag for a few hours and you know being cut off from social media? Because I'm obviously tied to my phone like every other human being in 2023." And uh, I said, I feel no different. I feel I have no strong feelings either way. I, I have achieved nothing. I was like, yeah, man, I really feel like I connected with your friends on a, on a human level. I was able to um, really engage with them in a ways that I, I've not been able to before. No, not at all. Nothing. It, it felt the same. <laughs> I felt exactly the same. But um, 
but yeah, I, I'm very glad that I didn't get spoiled. When the starting eleven came out, how are you guys feeling? We relatively happy with the selection. Feeling really good about that eleven. I think um, uh, was was intrigued and pleased to see Van der Ven starting. Um, pretty happy about Emerson Royale starting over Poro. We don't need to debate that again this week. I reckon Wendy will <laughs> maybe we'll see if we can get through the episode without it. <laughs> um, but then of course the other thing is uh, the wingers and um, that w- what happened there was was pretty predictable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said um, in a twi- Twitter thread earlier in the week that there were four dilemmas in the selection that we sort of knew seven out of eleven, but there were four. Um, dilemmas and I think really there were three because I think Emerson Royale was always going to start um, but it was Skip, Saul or Hoybier or Lo Celso maybe that were, as a wild card um, it was who would partner Romero whether Van der Ven was seen as, as ready enough um, to start and uh, it was whether Kane or Richarlison would start and obviously that was kind of taken out of Postacoglu's hands Yeah, Bardi how did you feel about the selection? Curious and pretty excited I was a little bit apprehensive about Van der Ven because that was it's kind of a quick turnaround. Mm. I was also a little bit worried about our defence up against up against this team who are very well drilled. And then of course there was a question mark over Skip because that's really a crucial role in that in that midfield three. Yeah, and I think um I think Skip was probably one of the weaker performers of the day, if not the weakest for me. Um I so I've watched the game uh as you normally would, you know, with a beer in hand paying as much attention as you can with the beer in hand and, and friends in the room. Uh, but I also watched it back today in um, triple speed, which I think is an interesting way to watch a game because you get to watch, you get to see the patterns rather than, you know, yeah. every intricate detail. Um, and I did notice that Skip was making a lot of movements from uh, the central midfield role to out to the wing to, to sort of take the place of Kulusevsky when he came inside um, and I feel as though maybe there was an element of Skip sort of sacrificing himself for the good of the team to maintain maintain shape. But as a result of that, and as a, as a result of the way we played, he didn't really see very much of the board at all. And when he did see it, he was very, very safe. Um, and that may well have been instruction, but I, I felt like that was one of the areas that we could definitely improve upon in the next game. I found his his performance to be all right on the ball i was i wasn't too bad about that but i just found his the spaces he would pick up weird it was just like he was always kind of out of formation out of position and a lot of times when they broke through the press that basuma put on and and madison and the rest of them that skip was the kind of there and i always get weird when i find our midfield players like in an ocean of space and the brentford players running around either side of him and i felt that a lot with skip especially in the second half that he could really get he could get got out um yeah it wasn't great for him he had a great game against barcelona i was expecting a bit of the same but it wasn't that type of match and it really wasn't for him it didn't sue him i thought Saar did a much better job when he came on interesting interesting yeah um I, also i mean that side of the pitch is certainly less creative than the other side you've got the sort of the, the triangle of uh Udogi, madison and and son against or, or you could say Van de Ven, I suppose. Van de Ven, Udogi and Madison. And then on the opposite side, Sanchez, as it turned out, Emerson Royale and Skip. I mean, one is, is a lot higher quality than the other, uh, which I think doesn't help Skip, but also is a symptom of Skip being a part of it. Mm. Um, 
so I think there's something in that and something to watch there as well. Uh, Shape-wise, Nathan, so Brentford played a, a 5-3-2, a fairly bog-standard 5-3-2, largely a flat back five, certainly in defensive phase. Yeah. Um, we play with a with a front five in, in build-up. The two eights drop deep a lot um, to receive the ball to feet. Uh, Madison in particular in this game. Brentford's midfield were were positioned very close to their defence, which squeezed space and saw Madison often drifting deeper than the midfield to, to get on the ball. Um, and I felt this really harmed the amount we could create, uh, not Madison's movement, but Brentford's defensive shape. And I thought Brentford did a fantastic job of uh, defending Postacoglu's system. You know, Thomas Frank is an incredibly impressive manager, He's very good at what he does. Yeah. I wouldn't want him to be our manager for obvious reasons. We've essentially just had a manager like that. Uh, but he is incredibly good at uh, stopping possession teams and then counterattacking. Um, how, how did you feel about the the shape, the system against that shape? Anything you would have liked to have seen done differently? Anything to learn about that for the coming season? Yeah, first of all, I think that we're going to see, we're going to come up against a lot of back fives this season, next season, indefinitely. Um, Brentford mix it up between a four and a five. Um, they played back four all of pre-season, but historically they've switched it up, especially against bigger teams going to a back five. Um, but especially makes sense for us, and especially, especially makes sense um, for the profile of the wingers that we brought into this game, I've already alluded to, which is that um, Son and Kulusevski barely went outside their men at all. And a lot of that is down to their individual stylistic um, preferences to, to move it onto their inside foot. Um, but also you're going to be exaggerated into that kind of behavior when you've got a wing back who's really tight and aggressive on you um, mm -hmm. because there's a back three defending the box. Um, so that was kind of an obvious flaw. It's tricky. Um, it's tricky because it's like Son's the captain, right? He's just been made captain. You're going to drop him, right? Richarlison's your new number nine. You just lost Harry Kane. You got Richarlison. He's a really good profile, Mitch. So like, okay, you could try Son up top, but then you'd have to drop Richarlison, and then that's a, that's really undermining him. And if you are going to be, if Son doesn't work up, work out up top, then you've got to go back to Richarlison. But you've really dented his ego, undermining him. Yeah. And then Kulusevski, he'd be the easiest of the three to remove, but he's a really good player. So um, that on pause for a moment. Um, the other thing is that, yeah, Skip was sort of a non-presence largely in this game. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's fair to say, and I don't think Sar was dramatically different when he came on. Um, for me, it made a lot of sense to use a more up and down traditional number eight in one of the two eight roles when it looks like Poro was going to be playing at right back. Um, it's something that I actively called for, in fact. Um, but now it looks like, at least for a while, that's Emerson Royale's place. Um, maybe maybe we should be looking at a more attacking number eight. Um, and here is where, okay, yes, we could bring Lacelso in. Lacelso has had a brilliant preseason. Or we could shift Kulisevsky across into that role. You're not dropping any of your front three. Um, and that's where we can bring Solomon or Perisic into the 11, someone who's going to beat and go go around their man on the outside and, and get some crosses in. We really lacked for, for crosses and threat outside in this game and, and gave Brentford basically one direction to defend in for the for almost the entirety of the game. I thought Perisic was brought on too late. I'll criticise Postacoglu mm -hmm. for that, who I, you know, yeah. I've 
only praised him basically so far. Um, but to, to be fair, when Perisic did come on, um, the wing back, I can't remember the name of the right back, the, the right wing back got more aggressive on Perisic. Um, the game became more transitional. And so he didn't even get the opportunity to receive the ball in the same kind of spaces and conditions that someone was receiving it for the previous 70 minutes. Um, and so he didn't get around his outside, out, didn't get around the outside of his man more than maybe twice in the time that he was on and, and put in again, maybe one or two crosses himself. Um, looks more for reverse through balls for, for Udogi, Udogi. Um, so yeah, I, um, we'll talk about our defending. Um, but the, the issue with attack was present. What it hasn't been solved with the personnel in his preferred so far 11. And, um, I don't know. I just, I don't see, like, I can see, sorry, I can see Sun getting better as a winger. We saw that against Shakhtar and he might mm-hmm. continue to get better and better to a certain extent and same with Kulisewski he might get better you know he's very good at getting around his man when he's got space to work with doing it Mm -hmm. from a standing start maybe that's a skill he can develop beyond the physical elements Um, but I see a ceiling on both of those and that ceiling isn't as high as we want it to be. Whereas if some were to play as a forward, again, I can see the downsides, how that he might vanish from the game in that way. But the upside for him there is just so much higher. He's just, his son, as we literally know, is a 20-goal player. He's never going to get more than, what, five or six playing mostly on the left touch line and occasionally getting a transitional goal in this system. So something's got to change, I think. Not in a huge rush, but something's got to change. I think the forward I think the forward line is where the biggest questions remain. The, we'll talk about the rest of the, the team afterwards. But I do think there's a massive concern over Richarlison. I just don't think he's lethal lethal enough to be able to not be in the game for long periods of time and then get a chance and be expected to take it. I just don't think that's his profile. I think perhaps the two chances he kind of snatched at, maybe Son would have done better with those. I'm just I'm not too up on Richarlison. I was before we sold Kane. I was I was thinking in perhaps, but in this first game it's early and it's not like me to do a big take immediately. But <laughs> I'm wor- I'm worried about Richarlison there, and in the same same vein I'm worried about Sun out wide. All the issues that we had with Sun last season seem to be there again this season. That this isn't a role for him, and I just don't see it working that wide I, I wanted Perisic on or Solomon on earlier somebody who would just at least commit the defender and this is also where you know Solomon's good and Perisic is good they're both stylistically good fits for the role but it becomes a lot easier to bench or move one of your existing front three if your winger option is of a higher quality and that's why I think yeah. Kane budget needs to go towards I, I've said this every episode for five episodes in a row I think at this stage why we should be looking at the likes of Nico Williams, Armand Loriente, Jeremy Doku, um, uh, and, and maybe a few others after that, but those are my top three. I, I definitely see where you guys are coming from with that. And I think that having another quality 1v1 specialist who can go either way on the flank would be really, really useful. Personally, I don't know that that would have fixed the problems against Brentford. I think, you know, with the amount of space they restricted us to, having a 1v1 specialist in this game doesn't necessarily get you many more shots in the box because they're absolutely crowding the penalty area anyway. And I thought Richardson's movement, uh, Postacoglu said a lot about Richardson's movement after the game, that he felt like he was making runs that weren't being found. Yeah, And that was certainly the case for the... The, the ball that Basuma played through and the ball that Madison played through that were really both very close to finding the mark. 
Um, and obviously there were other ones as well, but they, they didn't even attempt to find him. And I, I do really want us to stick with Richarlison for a good five, six, seven games before we even consider Son up top. Um, what's interesting is the next handful of games, so we've got Manu, Bournemouth, Fulham in the Cup, Burnley, and only then Sheffield United who will do essentially what Brentford did in this game. I think Manu, Bournemouth, Fulham and Burnley will all want to come out and play and or at least try and press a bit further forward. And so the problems we saw in this game might not get repeated quite so much. And it'll be fascinating to see whether we come across the same stumbling blocks in trying to break that set defence down. Um, so maybe that problem is kind of on hold for a few weeks hopefully, and, and we'll have a chance to be a bit more creative and get some more shots away. Um, that said, we did find some other solutions, um, namely James Madison's absolutely fantastic delivery from set pieces and Emerson Royer just like slotting one in from the edge of the box, which obviously we can rely on happening every week, right? <laughs> I thought he was actually having a bad game up until that moment. He seemed to he, was, he seemed a little bit lost. Um, but it was a lovely finish, and he definitely he improved that so well. Yeah, yeah, really, really smooth technique from Emerson Royale, which um, you know I've criticised his technique many times before. So I'm absolutely going to praise it when he gets it right, and he he definitely got it right on that strike. Likewise, James Madison, lovely, mm. lovely dead ball delivery, yeah, just like really flat, well angled, um, and Romero. Um, God, let's talk about Romero now because I, I, he looked wobbly as it was. And then after the goal, you could see him telling his teammates something wasn't right. Um, and how many times have we seen this happen at Spurs? And then the player goes over to the touchline, gets a little bit of a talking to from a medical professional and I'm then comes fine. straight back on the pitch. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's not just Spurs, though. It is, no, 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 no. Across, it, this is, a, this is a absolute, and not just the Premier League. It's, it's, mm. it's a, well, I think this email from Lawrence Redmond sums it up. I really, really enjoyed this email. So it's, it's, it's buckling as a long one. So Lawrence says, strong leadership and good decision making has not been something associated with our club a lot during recent times. However, during today's, sorry, however, today's decision around the Romero substitution demonstrated yet again that club appears to be moving in the right direction in the Postacoglu era. As a footballer myself, I had to take a medical sabbatical after eight separate concussions over four years. At the time, I was playing semi-pro, and as you can imagine, the lack of resources and poor understanding around concussion symptoms and protocols resulted in me playing far too much in the immediate aftermath. This decision was often left in the players' hands who are in a poor state of mind and whose judgment is blurred by their willingness to contribute to the success of the team at all costs. The stigma in grassroots is shifting, but still is far behind what is required. Ange, the medical staff and the players show tremendous leadership today in what can be perceived as a tough decision, putting the welfare of the player first. It's actually quite an easy decision, he says. The PL really need to work on the immediate response and systems in place to manage such events. To me, it was clear after the immediate clash, Romero required a proper concussion assessment. Oddly, the referee requests mid-assessment that the club doctors take the player off the field to complete it. Whilst this has its merits to let the game continue, given all stoppages are reflected in additional time through related rules, should this procedure not be rushed, rushed. In the time between Romero resuming play and leaving the field, he had four sub-concussive impacts of the head. These repeated minor knocks contribute to worsening symptoms of a player in the immediate minutes after the first trauma. By the fourth, his goal, get in, it was even clearer he should not continue. The impact for the goal was on the right-hand side, temple, forehead. This impact, despite not being on the same side as the original impact, clearly caused some level of discomfort and he could be seen reaching for his head repeatedly. 
From here, the decision is made to remove him despite his protests. Shout out to all the players around him who signal for him to be treated. Although admin error reflects poorly on the club, the failure from officials to recognise it as a concussion substitute resulted in a detrimental outcome for the most sensible course of action and intent from the club. Mm-hmm. As a league, we need to do more to not punish clubs in situations such as these and to encourage the correct decision-making going forward. I mean, there's a brilliant email that just sums it up perfectly to me. It's an issue that is now spoken of on a weekly basis in commentary. And for some reason, the Premier League have not shown leadership on this matter. Um, they've introduced concussion substitutes and basically said to the club, right, we do, we've given you this, get on with it. And that is not enough. Um, the point about the concussion substitute is that Spurs, in their haste to get Romero off the pitch, yeah. ticked the wrong box. It's literally ticking the wrong yeah. box. And rather than saying, oh, hang on, this guy's just been treated for a head injury. Are you sure you've ticked the right box? They let it happen. And then we lost the concussion sub. So we were one one substitution opportunity down. Uh, which is crazy. And, you know, with the concussion sub rules, Brentford could have a, a free sub as well, yeah. should they wish to use one. And there was there was some suspicion that we deliberately didn't use our concussion sub at the time because we felt that we had, you know, the, the, the stronger bench or whatever, you know, so that mm. we could better. But, but, but Poscoli said that it was it was an, an administrative error after the fact. Yeah, yeah I think that um, I think the fact that this error is possible um, is in not itself the biggest deal, but it's sort of indicative of the fact yeah. that these things are left to coaching staff to decide um, rather than independent medical staff, um, let alone club medical staff, uh, let alone the referee and, and things like that. Um, and fortunately, it feels like we now have the only adult football manager <laughs> in the top five leagues at our club. Like, I, I haven't watched every game that's ever happened, right? But as far as I'm aware, that's the first time I've seen a player be dragged off the pitch kicking and mm. screaming from a concussion sub and frankly that needs to happen a lot more I'm really really glad to see yeah. Romero that upset because um, it can't be the player's decision it must because they're not in they're in no state to judge their own condition and then hey later on he comes back out in a much better mood because you know maybe he's shaking it off a little bit had some time to reflect and uh, or, or realise his own condition and, and, and can move on um, and not only did he made the great decision but he spoke incredibly well afterwards about hey look i'm not a medical professional we just have to we can't take any kind of risks yeah he's already spoken perfectly on it you know absolutely absolutely uh so with romero off the field on comes davinson sanchez now we this podcast has given davinson sanchez a really hard time over the the past couple of seasons and i think you know it sounds harsh but it's, it's been deserved he hasn't played well for Spurs in the last couple of years. I think he's been put in a position where he's never going to thrive, but he absolutely has not thrived. It's been a struggle to watch him. But he was brilliant against Barcelona in the friendly uh, last midweek, and I thought he performed really admirably in this game. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. 
Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm on this podcast because I know things about pasta, 90s Italian football, and I'm far more exotic than my Anglo-Saxon podcast friends. You could say I'm a bit Latin, but you wouldn't because you're not a Graham Sooness wannabe. How do I remain in touch with my Latin roots? Despite being slap bang in the middle of fish and chip land, I use NordVPN. It gives users the ability to salsa their way out of the UK and into warmer climes, spicier soap operas, and of course, 3pm football. You can put pineapple on a pizza here, but you can't watch 3pm football. So how do you go about being more Latin? I hear you asking. Well, it's easy and surprisingly cheap, my amici. Slip this exclusive NordVPN discount into your Speedos by using nordvpn.com forward slash inch. You'll also receive four extra months for free. And there's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. The link is in the episode description box. Ciao, ciao. Voodoo Chopsticks, Dan says, with Basuma and Davinson both having great games yesterday, I wonder if the reason they looked much worse under Conte wasn't what they were asked to do, but how they had to do it. Basically, all the extremely detailed instruction and everything, take this touch, then pass here, etc. If I had to overthink everything at my job to that degree, I'd do my job terribly too. What do you guys think? Any legitimacies to this? Anyone else we expect would become better with the shackles off? Um, I think it helps. Davinson having a, a a midfielder like Basuma in front of him who will take the ball off him, turn and then move away from the defence and not just keep looking into his eyes like a, a, a lovesick teenager. <laughs> that, re- that really helps. Basuma was fantastic and he was one of... Th- I mean, it's the first game, but that was that was a, one of the best central midfield performances outside of Benton Kerr that we've had in since Dembele's hip fell off. That it was that it was that yeah. good. Yeah. Yep. And it was absolutely outstanding. That I, helps, you know. That helps defenders who are bad on the ball. It helps having that kind of player yeah. that you can pass the ball to and relieve some of the responsibility off Davinson and just just defend Big Dave. Be uh, be aggressive. Play high up. Use your speed to recover if you need to, and do that. Do what he's not a bad defender, but he yeah he's terrible on the ball. But we just played him to his strengths basically. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Oh, I just sorry. I wanted to say on the concussion thing that it's not just us being like you know uh, soft uh, lovey boys who who put. Um, you know the cause uh, before before results because also you take a look at a lot of these cases. Vertonghen's a great example where mm. a concussion has had a player very very significantly detrimentally affected in in their ability to play football for a long long time. And getting a player off the pitch um, is so much better medium long term um, because um, if Romero recovers well now he's fit to play next week. Whereas what we saw with Vertonghen is that he he looked like he'd lost several steps it looked like he'd hit an age curve and gone over the age curve um and so we sold him which seemed like a reasonable decision at the time and it turns out what he needed was a long time a long long time to recover from his concussion he was still a viable high quality center back um i mean you know imagine if it suddenly looks like romero is 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 35 years old you know it's um yeah, it's it's not just the right thing to do morally. It's also a good footballing decision. So sorry for going back there. Um, on in terms of Dan's question, I definitely definitely think that applies to Basuma. I think he's such an instinctive player. Um, 
and to have all his decisions made for him uh, before he stepped foot on the pitch is definitely a, a poor fit and, and makes so much sense of why he struggled in the same essentially role. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, because we talked about, oh, maybe he shouldn't be playing as a number six, but actually, you know, he's thriving as a number six. Yeah. Um, Wendy, you and I prompted by a tweet from uh, uh, Aaron Meniz, who's a, a Man United podcaster, about um, Basuma's passing ability. And we had a, a little discussion and some others joined in as well. Um, first of all, Basuma had an outrageous performance, right? <laughs> let me let me establish that. But the point that uh, uh, Meniz made that I agree with is that he's really, really brilliant under pressure. Again, the Dembele comparison is is not unwarranted. But then when he actually has a moment on the ball, um, I think that he was so good that I I want to see more there. I want to see him get into more mid and longer range passes and be a bit more expressive and hit the wide man and 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 break more lines. Now, when I use the word breaking lines, um, it's easy to uh, reply to me with the data viz that stats bomb. Um, tweeted earlier today, which is that he made more line-breaking passes than anyone so far in, in the Premier League. Um, but a lot of those are like five, ten-yard passes, which is not to say that those aren't worthwhile and useful, especially in the sort of triangle-based system that Postecoglou plays. Um, just that he played so well that I'm saying the next step is to pierce um, with a with a thirty-yard, forty-yard pass. I mean, I think that's that's really, really difficult to do against a set defence like Brentford's. I think, like, he basically did everything he possibly could in this particular game. Um, And, and, you know, we all said the same about Dembele time and time again as well. The skill set is there. It's the same. It's... He's brilliant at short-range passes. He's brilliant at carrying the ball and breaking yeah. the press that way. He's brilliant at, at relieving pressure on the defence, as Bardi says, by having the ball. Um, you kind of want more, but at the same time, if you've got more, then he doesn't play for Spurs. He goes and plays for <laughs> any other, any best team in the world. Pick, take your pick. Man City, Paris Saint-Germain, Bayern, bloody Munich, whoever. Whoever it need be. Um, and... I don't think we can expect more from Basuma than this performance. If he played like this every week, he's oh, player yeah. of the season. I mean, I've already predicted in the uh, the, the Discord predictions thread that Basuma will be our player of the season. Fair I think enough. if he gets anything like that performance level week to week, he wins it hands down because he was outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. And I think the thing is, we do need more passing in our midfield. We've got Madison. He's brilliant at passing. Um, we have to find another way to get another passer in. And I think the way you do that is you either sacrifice Skip for Kulisevsky or for Lo Celso yeah. or a new signing, or you bring in Pedro Porro, who is a much more creative passer from deep, um, who will sit in midfield and will have much more vision than Emerson Royale, who plays it relatively safe on the whole. And I think that Mark. either of those are viable options for games like this, where we're playing a set defence. I got worried there. I thought you were suggesting to put Pedro Porro in set defence. <laughs> I mean, it's essentially... Well, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. with this inverted fullback system, it essentially is, isn't it? But um... He'll lose the ball there a ton, man. I think he'd have lost the ball a dozen times against Brentford. He might have also mm. played Richarlison through, and, and, and we could have got another goal, but I just think... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm. I accept what you're saying that, like, after we set up the system, we've had more time to learn. He's got a higher technical ceiling. I just, I'm not feeling optimistic about that. Um, but we'll see. We'll see on that one. Uh, have you? I know that you're working your way through my Van der Ven video, Wendy. Have you got to the point where I mentioned Davinson Sanchez in that video? Not yet. Okay. Okay. You, well, you said that. Yeah, I heard you say it's a comparison that you've you yeah. had in your in your mind for a little while. Mm. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, I am not surprised that Devons and Sanchez had a good game defensively in a high line, high pressing system, basically, right. is, is the point. Yeah. And I think that defensively, Van de Ven and Devons and Sanchez, what I say in this video, are not that dissimilar. Um, I feel like people will probably take that the wrong way. And now I've said it on the podcast, which is a mistake. <laughs> um, people like to make the comparison between Van de Ven and Vertonghen. And on the ball, I can I can see that to an extent. Yeah, except that the touch. Vertonghen yep. had a much better passing game than, than Van de Ven does. But defensively, yeah. Uh, I mean, when Davinson Sanchez first came into the club, right, he played in the middle of a back three between Alderweireld and Vertonghen. All he did on the ball was pass it between those two players. And mm -hmm. defensively, he was so strong and covered so much ground behind him that Bardi said he was better than Ledley King, right? So no, 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 no. I said he could go on to become better than Ledley King. Yeah, Thanks for bringing thing. that up. It does work. Every, every now and then it comes up. Normally that snake Ricky retweets it. Straight under the bus. Yeah. It was a fair enough. It was all right. It was a, it was it was a it was a take. Mm -hmm. You know, quite the take. <laughs> still got time. Still got time on his side. Maybe sure. maybe Oof. maybe Angel coach him and he will become one of our greatest ever defenders. I mean, if it does become the consensus, that's going to really pay mm. off for you in a big way. So. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I played a long game on this one. Well, the, the, the thing is, he is he is ahead of Dyer right now. He was yep. on the bench and Dyer wasn't and. I don't think we could have said that at the start of last season, midway through last season, at the end of the season, for most of pre-season. He comes in against Barcelona, has an absolutely outstanding performance, probably one of the best performances I've ever seen him play for Spurs, granted it's pre-season. Mm. And he's caught Ange's eye. And like Nathan says, and like you said, Buddy, this, this system is, is much more suited to him. He is someone who has tremendous recovery pace, he likes to squeeze the play and and like feel his his uh, striker in front of him on the halfway line, um, and he he likes to keep the ball simple with his passing. Like the system gives him options. There are there tend to be two or three different simple passing yeah. options because there are players coming towards the ball, and that really really suits Stanislas yeah. Sanchez. And being sent to Russia is a hell of a motivation. Yeah. 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 Yeah, well, I hope we could, if we are looking to sell him, I really hope we find another seller, and and hopefully his stock is rising right now off the back of those those two performances. Um, I thought Van der Ven was excellent in this game. Yeah, he was really really excellent. I'm, I'm feeling extremely good. I mean, I, I felt good about him, but I'm feeling really really good about um what's to come mm. from him. Um, to to yeah to to come in after two training sessions and and put in that performance. Um. Like I was saying, the the system really, really suits his skill sets. Defending lots of space behind him, he's he's got the best tools in 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 all defenders in world football, basically for that his ability to turn and accelerate and be huge. Um, yeah, passing game is a little limited, but um, his his comfort under pressure um, opens things up, kind of like mm. we were talking about with Basuma. So mm. really, really happy with that. As a team defensively, uh, letting a couple of goals. <laughs> Yeah, oh, wait, wait, wait. Before we get there, I'd, let's um, let's talk about the predestinato on the, the left hand side, Destiny Udoji. He's like oh, yeah. incredible. Yeah, absolute. We were all a little bit concerned about him, but he he had a wonderful game. Um, he was aggressive in defence. He was good going forwards. He he had a brilliant debut for such a young guy. That was there was kind of a little bit of everything Ryan Sessegnon's never shown. There was confidence and bravery in everything that he did, and that that was great in a difficult difficult place to go. That was a great debut. He rocks. Mm. He's he's he owns the the left back role in this team a hundred percent. 
I, I I remember, so I did a loan report on him uh, sort of the beginning of summer and, and going into that, I was sort of having some concerns about his fit because he was a wing back. Um, but I, I put, did all the research for that video and put it together. Um, and yeah, he this he's actually perfectly made for this for this role. He's going to thrive. He's going to have a hell of a season. I think that um, I think the big bids are going to come in for him in the next couple of years. To be honest, and yeah. then we're going to have to make a decision on that. I mean, we have seen um, left backs come in and be really good straight away. Do you remember Lee Pio? Young Pio, he came in. Do you remember his debut against Liverpool where he just mm. tore Liverpool to shreds and we all thought, hello, we've had got something here. Also, Reggie had a great start, but um, mm. Destiny Destiny does look next level. Yeah, really fits the system very, mm. very well. Um, uh, I just want to give a mention to Alec Krinsky and James Lingfield, who both asked questions, which we kind of covered off already, but um, James's was about... Uh, the the sort of right sided eight position with Skip and maybe Kudasevsky could could play there and Alex was around um, the the wingers the winger options and the fact that they aren't traditional hug with touchline guys um, so so thanks for those um, a couple of other things I want to talk about in relation to the game firstly I don't know what you guys thought I felt the first penalty decision was really soft and when I saw the replay I thought yeah that's fine he's he's getting away with that one I mean Son obviously caught Jensen but he he went down seconds after and like yeah. he basically took a step and then realized he needed to fall over um and and it bought the the penalty which i found a little frustrating having said that and these are never given but i felt that vicario and shada was a penalty so i'm a bit like you know i feel we got hard done by with one but the other one i think would have been no. a of course that's not how life works. You can't just say, oh, we got away with this one, so that one doesn't count. That wasn't a penalty. We saw the the, the tweet that was going around about the French League where the ref gave the penalty and then VAR said, go and have a look. And there just wasn't enough in it. There wasn't enough in that for it to be a penalty. Yeah. And I can't believe VAR looked at it yeah. and then sent the referee to look at it. And they all had multiple looks at it and they still came to the decision it was a penalty it wasn't a penalty it was it was really soft and a bad decision there was um in the Liverpool Chelsea game afterwards there was a push on I think it was a, a Chelsea player this referee would have given that that's that's how bad this referee was I thought they were both fouls no come on <laughs> I just do I, I, I it's not that interesting it's just I, I don't care that much but that's just my I thought the time on that's gonna be given Vicario though um good performance. I I thought he looked good yeah I thought he looked really really solid uh I liked his use of the ball uh there's one where he had to like he ended up passing out for a throw in and he looked kind of pissed off that Emerson Royer hadn't made him or I think it was Emerson Royer hadn't given him an angle to play to um but other than that I thought his passing was really yeah a breath of fresh air compared to Hugo Lloris's yeah definitely it's still a little <laughs> bit shaky but but good yeah. I mean saying it's uh, better than Hugo Lloris isn't the isn't quite the fresh mm. he had a he had a solid game at a difficult place. Um, the Brentford keeper, now he could whack a ball. He he really could kick Blacken. it. So yeah, he could really smack a ball across a pitch. So it wasn't that level, but it was it was good and it was solid enough. Um, it was solid enough. I did my um, I did my analytics thread at the beginning of the summer on 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 goalkeepers, and he was like the top prospect. And then I looked and oh, he's already signed for Brentford. <laughs> they they agreed that before the window opened. <laughs> it was classic mm. Brentford. And he matched David Raya like yeah. almost perfectly. Yeah. The similarity is insane. Um 
Yeah, I, I think the Carriers get a lot of undue criticism on social media because people are pissed off about David Raya. And I understand the frustration if you really wanted David Raya and felt like it was worth paying an extra 15 million to get a homegrown player who's Premier League experience, then then fair enough if, that, if that's really important to you. But I kind of liked the way we handled that situation. We weren't being held to ransom by Brentford. We went out and we, we used data and we found what we thought was the next best alternative. Very well thought of, well regarded in Italy. Uh, has come in, seems like a really decent character, um, and I, I kind of like what I'm seeing so far. Yeah, I'm, uh, it was a it was a bold gamble um, from Brentford to stick to their asking price or nearly their asking price to gamble on essentially three Premier League clubs being back in. Like I thought, once we signed Vicario and United signed Donana, I was like, they've they've misstepped there. Mm. But then Arsenal realised that their goalkeeper is actually not that good, um, <laughs> which I didn't think that they would do. So fair play, Brentford. The 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 gamble paid off there, and it and it hasn't done for us. I think it's a it's um it's a shame that he's gone to Arsenal. I'd have I'd have really liked him. Like I did, I say it on I said it on um the FPL podcast that um maybe wait another week, and then if no one's coming for Real, we can mm. give a derisory offer <laughs> for for him <laughs> and and go from there. Um, now we're in a much stronger position. Yeah, that's annoying. That's a shame. I think, um, okay, so so defensively, uh, we mentioned Flecken, and uh, I was talking to my friend John earlier about um, our our keenness to press the opposition goalkeeper and how that probably hurt us a few times because of the passing quality of Flecken in this game. Um, but how sort of, um, like, ideologically, that's kind of what we're glued to with Postacoglu, never, ever accepting that it's the opponent's turn to have the ball. Um I did a thread on Saturday night, um, sort of ahead of the first game, saying we're going to let in a few goals <laughs> this season. And uh, I think people will talk badly about um, our overall tactical approach and say that it's naive and talk badly potentially about our individual defenders um, when actually a lot of it is fixable with the change in our pressing structure, the out-and-out 4-4-0-2, I've been referring to it as, is um, is going to leave us prone. I actually thought that uh, we were really smart with keeping one of our forwards on the number six in this game and that our pressing structure was, was pretty good. Um, it's just that pressing the goalkeeper leaves a man somewhere else on the field and they got us a couple of times with that. Something to keep an eye on. Where we actually did allow Brentford's through was in our counter-pressing. Um, there are a yeah. couple of moments where there'd be a loose ball situation. Um, a Spurs player would get a single foot on the ball. We would throw all of our players forward into the Brentford's box. And then that loose ball would continue to be in competition. And that's where Brentford would get the breakaway. And then the goal that we conceded came from a, um, a free kick in Brentford's half where couldn't put any pressure on the free kick. Very high, narrow defensive line. Basuma didn't track the the goal scorer. Didn't partake in that defending, and that sort of that's a dream. That's what Brentford do in training all week. Is that scenario that and like the same thing from a long throw? So they got us with one of them, and that was a bit naive. Is probably the right word actually. I think they're counter pressing and and sort of Brentford style set pieces. We mm. were a little unprepared for. Um, neither of those are really yeah. long term concerns, right? I, I think their second goal, Kulusevski was debating whose throw it was. Is that correct? I think Kulusevski should have stopped that throw from happening so quickly. He was debating who it was and he kind of gave it up. I, I don't think I'm imagining this, but I haven't watched the whole game back. And I think he needed to slow that down. 
he was contesting it, slow it down, stop it, and but in the end they managed to take it quick and they they scored from it. I I think that's where we need to be a bit smarter. And I think it's it's a thing about Tottenham for for quite some time. We don't really seem to debate things or put the pressure on the referee quite as much as opposition players and managers do. We did pick up a few yellows in this game for yes. arguing with the officials. Madison got booked, and then Ryan Mason also got booked um, for having a, a few words. I mean, I, I think I do agree with Nathan's point that we're going to get caught out a few times in the counter and it looks like the counter press is going to be slightly vulnerable as well. But I do think in this game we did largely quite well. Um, you know, we concede from a penalty. Fair enough, like if you think on one's a foul, but I think it's 50-50 at best and, you know, they, they scored a penalty. And then the other one, sure, there's a bit of a breakdown, <coughs> but I don't know. Emerson Royal gets absolutely smoked by Rico Henry is a brilliant attacking left back. And then there's a deflected shot, which which is a bit unfortunate for Vicario. Um, the other one, which was a really big chance, was the Damsgaard one. The ball fell really kindly to him from a rebound and um, he probably should have scored that. Uh, but he put it over. Um, but I didn't think we give up, gave up too many chances. I thought on the whole, we looked fairly resolute, given that this was the first... Premier League game in this new system. Uh, we haven't had a extensive preseason. I, I was largely pretty impressed. Before we talk about our boy Harry, uh, I shall hand over to Bardi, our partnership correspondent. I gave AG1 a try because as I've got older, I've tried to be smarter with my health. As a young man, I was reactive. In England, it would be called negative. I waited for my body to tell me to do something before I stepped in, but not anymore. With AG1 by my side, I'm at the halfway line. I'm diving in. I'm proactive. I'm Van der Ven. I'm Big Dave, 15 yards inside the opposition half, making it happen. Stepovers, squishing lemons, dropping vitamin D and sliding through forwards. I may occasionally get ill, but that doesn't mean I'll stop being proactive when it comes to my health, my gut and my sleep. AG1 is part of me and my routine. And I've got a feeling Big Ange is close to becoming that way as well. He just needs to give it a few more weeks. Be more Ange, be more AG1, get the green stuff in you on a daily basis, mate. <laughs> AG1 replaces your multivitamin probiotic and more in one simple drinkable habit. AG1 helps you build your health foundation first. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash extra inch. That's drinkag1.com forward slash extra inch. Check it out. So we said goodbye this week to club legend Harry Kane. Um, and I think, you know, we'd been speaking about this for a, for a number of weeks. Yeah. And uh, I think we'd all pre-grieved <laughs> and, we, and we'd kind of come to... Um, <coughs> We've come to realise it is likely to happen and we, we we're at peace with whatever did happen. Um that said, it's obviously had a massive impact on the fan base and uh um the community. We've got a number of, of really nice emails, um, tributes to Kane, stories about Kane. So Pete Judge emailed us, um Pete had lost a family member and someone he knew got in touch with Harry Kane who sent him a gift and some well wishes which I thought was really sweet um got a lovely email from Che Lekin um one of the paragraphs really stood out to me he writes back to Harry and exposing your heart to the risk and inevitability of wounding it a lot of great love affairs blink out but human equally overcommitting and fickle as we are nature is all that we know 
We'll fall in love over again in spite of the old pain and risk of experiencing it again. We can't help our hearts and it's swelling against our better judgment. It wills what it wills. We had other emails from Paul Maslin, from Tim Vasek with a lovely personal piece of, of writing, Keith Stahl, Brian David, James Sullivan and Charlie Graham. Um, I mean, firstly, I don't know about you guys, but I, I really enjoyed Seb Stafford Bloor's piece about Harry Kane. I thought it yeah. summed things up beautifully. Uh, but weirdly, the thing that made me weep was Daniel Levy's statement. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, it must have caught me off guard. But the, the the statement that Daniel Levy put out via the official site was really um, was really sweet um, and spoke very highly of Harry Kane, obviously. Um, and this does feel big. It feels like a really big moment in our club's history. Uh, any anything you'd like to to say about Harry Kane leaving Spurs? Um, obviously, like I've been saying, why we should do it for the last several months now at this stage. Five was, years, mate. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, and like I, I absolutely double down that because I think that a um, hundred million pounds for a thirty-year-old dodgy ankles who has one year left on his contract is an absurd absurd fee from a business perspective we've absolutely made the most of a bad situation as a fan um when i watched harry kane awkwardly read prepared words into his camera um in some sunny field in germany uh i got very emotional because it really hit me that um it really hit me that we had one of the greatest strikers in the history of the game and that we yep. really failed to capitalise it and it stings. Um, that that's it, that there's no going back. I mean, he could come back, but it's not the same. It would be like with Bale, right? It would be a gimmick. Mm-hmm. That we we had maybe the best number nine in the world, joint best number nine in the world, um, and we didn't make anything of it, that we squandered it. We fucked it up and um, we let him down and... Uh, and he gave up on us, and that hurts. But I think good things are around the corner. I think that, you know, there's the irony of we're finally doing things right just as he's leaving. Yeah. Um, that perhaps the reason we did things wrong was an attempt to appease him. Yeah. Um, and it became this really fucking stupid, um, you know, self-fulfilling failure of, of let's do these things to keep Kane, and all we're doing there is digging a bigger hole. So it hurts, but I'm ready to move on already. I think that's that's what we do. We just move on as fast as we can because there's something new to get excited about. And maybe uh, Dortmund will win the Bundesliga and uh, Kane will regret it. <laughs> I've been... Um... I've been pro selling Kane for a while because I, I like to think of myself as this cold hearted mm. individual who only cares about three points. And as the, as the weeks got by and it became clear he was going, I was all right with it until it, it happened. And I was just like, okay. And then I was surprised. I was actually surprised how much it, it took me and how much it shook mm. me. The fact that this guy, he's just become part of watching Tottenham. Yeah. And it's almost like sometimes you're at the stadium and you pop down to get a beer early and someone goes, oh, Harry Kane scored. And you'd be like, yeah, of course. <laughs> like, I don't need, I don't need to, it's almost like I don't need to see the goal because I've seen all the goals. I've seen him score so many times and it becomes that kind of nonchalance around him that his goals are always going to happen, that he's going to keep scoring goals. And now all of a sudden he's gone and you're like, who's going to do it now? And then you look at Richarlison and people like that and you're like, it's just not the same. It's just not the quite the same level. And I think it's going to take, um, I think it's going to take a few games for us to really understand the magnitude of this guy. 
and he'll be he's a legend but it won't be until five six seven years time when there's been some separation that we'll realize and we'll all sit around and then all the kind of trophy nonsense all the kind of shit banter going around with everyone else it would just happen that this guy was a legend and he is a legend and he's the greatest forward that's ever happened alan shearer was fine he scored a lot of goals but it was only alan shearer 15 years after he retired now everyone talks about what a great player he is harry kane will get the respect that he deserves but it's going to take it's going to need a little bit of separation but he's gone i was really sad and then leipzig smashed up by and i was pretty happy yeah i got i gotta say i i enjoyed that result <laughs> yeah i you run away to get a trophy and then um it doesn't happen for you because life is difficult man you gotta work hard for things you can't just leave and win a trophy immediately. That's not allowed. So um, work hard and he'll pick it up in May. So in the spirit of moving on and moving forward, Will Knight says, whilst a lot will be made about the player leaving, and rightfully so, what do you make of the effect on the players left behind? Obviously, Harry was a big part of the dressing room and had many close relationships. How do you think those players will feel about him leaving? Personally, I think that it could have a galvanising effect on the squad, particularly given Ange's clear ability to communicate and motivate his players. Having a clear leader give up on the squad could be a real source of inspiration. And um, we've already seen some of the impact. Um, Spurs tweeted the video in which Postapoglu announces the uh, captain and vice captains. So he announces that Son Heung-min has been appointed as the club captain and that Romero and Madison have been appointed as vice captains. And I think the way that Postapoglu did this uh, was magnificent. I thought I loved the way he spoke. I loved the way he spoke about the players having a sense of autonomy over their dressing room and the standards that, that that go on within it. Um, and I liked also the way he spoke about Son uh, when he addressed the media that Son sort of transcends the different groups in the dressing room. Uh, you know, Madison's come in as a really big character, really confident, assertive character who's um, who's got strong opinions and a, and a strong will. Uh, and I think that helps fill some of the void that Kane will leave behind, having someone step into that straight away. And the fact that he's been made vice-captain despite being at the club for a matter of weeks, I think speaks volumes about what Ange sees in him. And we know Romero is a, is a big character on and off the pitch. So that wasn't particularly surprising either. Um, but yeah, do you guys have any thoughts about the players left behind, as Will puts it? No, I think sometimes the the captain thing is a bit overstated and a bit too much importance has gone on to a role, into that role. But it was great for Sun to get it. I think he deserves it. And yeah, Madison and Romero seem like decent vice captains as well. Okay, I'm going to mention Ewing Theory once on this podcast and then I'm going to mute it on Twitter. So if you Mm. send it to me, you're not seeing it again. I'm not seeing it. Um, Ewing theory is the the idea. It comes from uh, Simmons talking about NBA that when a team loses their star player, they become better because um, various reasons, <laughs> right? Because uh, people step into the void that's left and they no longer wait to be carried. Um, I do think that there can be a, a galvanizing element. I think especially because of the football that we're now going to play, um, there's an opportunity for players to step up into that space that's left windy. I, I agree with what you're saying there. Um, but I I don't think there's a ton more to it than that. I think that if Spurs are better after Harry Kane, it's because they had a better coach who was more suited yeah. to the circumstances. And, and that's, that's it. It's better to have good players. <laughs> that's the truth of it. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, 
And I think uh, the next time we podcast, hopefully we'll, we will have more good players. The issue right now is selling players. So that's what we've not really spoken bad about. <laughs> yeah, that, that's why we've not spoken about transfers this week. But I do think next time we, we get together, we might be talking about transfers. You've got so many um, players, man. We need to offer a buy one get one free deal on, on, on these guys. Oh my days. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be loan central again, uh, in the final weeks of the transfer window, I, I fear. Remember that we've only got nine. Mm, yeah, don't do that again. Um before we go, just need to mention the the protest that the Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust have organized ahead of the Man United game. So they're coordinating a demonstration ahead of the match. Kickoff is at five. They're saying to assemble at three forty-five opposite the ticket office. Uh, the steps, I'm sorry, assemble at three forty-five opposite the ticket office steps on the high road for one hour with a clear message to stop ticket price rises and to stop exploiting loyalty. Um, this is the, the first of, of many such protests, I suspect. Uh, but if you feel strongly about increases in ticket prices at Spurs. Then, then be there at 3.45 opposite with ticket office steps on the high road. I do feel that strongly and I'm pretty sure I'm going to be there. So uh, come say hi to make up the numbers. If that, if you, Even if you don't feel strongly about the cause, come say hi to me and, and then you'll be in the picture. Nice. nice. I'll probably be there as well. Nice. I, don't, I, don't, I haven't ever really protested in my life. Um, so we'll see how we get on. Could be, um, it'd be definitely be new, a new experience for me. I normally stand around apart from a protest and watch it and see what's going on. Scab, scab. Yeah, <laughs> like a mosh pit. I, I, I do, I do like the theory of a mosh pit, but I prefer to be on the outside. Oh, kind you, of, you got to give it a try. It. It's nothing yeah. like it, man. <laughs> I was in, um, I was in a little kind of dungeon Hungarian club, um, last week, which is probably why I'm, I'm still ill Ugh. and, um. What was it Lincoln Park came on and I was like, oh, I like this song. So I went in and then I realised I had my glasses on. Yeah. I had white trainers yeah. and I was just like, oh, yeah. And I had to take my glasses off and kind of hold them above my head and I kind of back up, backed out. Yeah, mosh pits aren't for me. You have been listening to The Extra Inch with me, Windy, my sidekick and best friend, Barney, and our tactics guy, Nate If you like this, there's plenty more at patreon.com forward slash The Extra Inch. Production is by Nathan A. Clark. Our logo, artwork, and website are designed by Trayton Miller. Our music is by David Lindmer. You can find him on Instagram at David Lindmer. Do check him out, he's great. great, great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us at podcast at the extra inch. Subscribe, leave us a rating and a review. And most importantly, be sure to tell all of your Spurs friends. Shout out to the X-Sub, we love every single last one of you. And of course, come on you Spurs. Thank you.